prayer with me this morning? Can we just bow our heads together? Psalm 19 says, and we say this morning, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God is good all the time. It's, it's not how loud you shout or how high you jump. It's how straight you walk when you hit the ground. Now how do you and I know that the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives? Is it, is it how loud you shout or how high you jump? No, it's, it's how straight you walk when you hit the ground. Steinbeck in uh, Grapes of Wrath uh, caricatures holiness preachers as those who preach with fire and fury. They jump high and they shout loud, but unfortunately in his book, they confess, don't they, that they don't walk straight when they hit the ground. Not, not so, John the Baptist. I mean, the, the, he was more substance than style. He, he walked straight. And he called the people of God to walk straight. No wonder he anticipated the coming of Jesus with such joy. No, no wonder he met him with such reverence. In saying to him, I'm not supposed to baptize you. I need you to baptize me. And Jesus was baptized by him and all heaven broke loose. And I wonder if you remember your baptism. Ever been baptized by fire? Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit of God? And if so, how do you know? Would you open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 3? Verses, we'll pick up where we left off, verses 11 to 17, and then anticipate with me, I'm going to be going to Acts chapter 2 to show the fulfillment of John's prophecy and prediction so be prepared to move nimbly with me let's stand together and let's hear the word of the Lord to us today Matthew chapter 3 we have one more week in Matthew we'll talk about temptation next week and then we move to prayer for three weeks and there are a lot of people praying that that series will be a turning point in the life of our congregation and in the life of our church. But I personally am not willing to wait until then. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. John says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. 
His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you and to you come to me. And Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, Acts chapter 2, verse 1, we find these words. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, languages, as the Spirit, as the Spirit enabled them. And then in verses 38 and 39, same chapter, verses 38 and 39, when Peter tries to explain to them what has happened, this is how he tells them that they can experience the Holy Spirit, and what that experience will be like. Peter replied when they said, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and this is for us, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord Our God will call. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. In humility, John received Jesus. We don't know if if they met earlier. We would assume being family members they might have. What we do know is that John was preparing the way And when he saw Jesus, he said, I can't baptize you, you baptize me. And Jesus says, it's fitting, it's necessary, it's the right thing for us to do to fulfill all righteousness. Commentators struggle over that. They have for centuries. It's not just a feature of our time that it's hard to understand why if John was baptizing with the baptism of repentance, Jesus would submit to that. But maybe that's the key that Jesus recognized that God was all over John's ministry and Jesus wanted to identify himself with that to fulfill all righteousness. How does Jesus do that? We see in our study of the Sermon on the Mount in our morning devotionals that, that Jesus fulfilled all righteousness by keeping the law at every point. Jesus fulfilled the law, by obeying the law, but more than that, Jesus identifies with us, with those whom he comes to save. And when he is immersed in the waters of the Jordan, he is buried and he is 
rays, symbolizing the way that he will fulfill all righteousness by being buried in a tomb and rising again on the third day to save all of us from our sins. And when he is baptized, and I imagine he emerges from that water with with an amazing rise out of the water and then all of heaven breaks loose, visibly the Spirit, audibly the Father. And I want you to know that all of God showed up when Jesus was baptized and that the same God who showed up at the baptism of Jesus wants to baptize us not just with water but with the Spirit and fire until we come to know what Jesus heard and saw that day that we by grace become the beloved children of God and all of heaven would break loose in our lives if we were to receive That baptism that comes only through Jesus Christ. And the whole work of your salvation is wholly the work of the Holy Spirit who draws us to salvation, who calls us to God, who saves us gloriously and then who day by day after baptizing us fills us again and again and again if we will receive it. Notice at Jesus' baptism that we see this blessing of all of God showing up at that baptism. All of those with whom Jesus had had communion for all of eternity, Father, Son, and Spirit, they are all represented at that baptism as the greatest work of God, greater than creation, greater even perhaps and fulfillment of incarnation. The great work of salvation begins not just with Jesus, but with the Father, the Spirit, and the Son. Notice this story Notice first, Jesus and John. We don't want to miss what Matthew is telling us about Jesus and John. Those of you who are taking math classes right now know the greater than symbol. Here's the equation. Jesus is greater than John. Why does Matthew have to tell us that? Well, we'll learn in the book of Acts in chapters 18 and 19 that throughout the history of the church, John's ministry was so powerful that they will continue to encounter pockets of people who were so wrapped up in John that they missed Jesus. And Paul will have to say, you've received the baptism of John, but have you received the Holy Spirit? No. Why have they not in chapters 18, Apollos and the believers in Ephesus in chapter 19, those... um, people who followed John, why have they not received the Holy Spirit? Because they have not, they have not believed in Jesus and only Jesus gives the Holy Spirit. So John will say he is greater than I. I love John's conviction. Standing face to face with King Herod and saying, it's wrong that you married your brother's wife and stole her from him. Never mind the fact that she's your niece. It's wrong that you did that. And Herod, and Herod arrested him, but he was afraid of John. It hadn't been for some, uh, 
some trickery in the household, he wouldn't have killed John. He listened to John, but he was afraid of John. And when Jesus' ministry emerges, he thinks John has come back. That's how powerful John was. Powerful enough to to face off a king. I've been reading about Patrick Henry, one of our Baptist forebears from Virginia, who who didn't ever train to be a lawyer, but passed the bar nonetheless, and who stood across an ocean and shouted, as it were, at King George, you have no authority over us. You, you have to love those people who live with conviction. Like, like that West Texas preacher, Joe Grizzle, who when a senator died and they had the funeral at his church and they said, we need you to say good things about the senator even though he wasn't a believer in Jesus Christ. And Joe Grizzle, all 120 pounds of him, filled with the unction of God stood up and said, I asked the senator to receive Christ two weeks ago, but he refused. So as far as I can tell, unless something happened with the senator between then and now, the senator is in hell. That's all I have to say this morning. And he walked off the platform. But on Sunday morning, fully 67 adults in that West Texas town received Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. I'm just telling you, Some people are filled with power, but even John knew that Jesus was greater. And you have to love the humility. As Frederica Matthews Green says, Every day my ego builds a fortress of cardboard. And every day, though, in humility, I have to break down that fortress. I have an ego. You have an ego. Like the buffalo bayou when it gets out of its banks. My ego does a lot of damage. And every day I have to tear down that fortress. And John shows us the way. Jesus is greater than John. He points to Jesus. Jesus is central. It's what Tolian Chavidjan, um, the grandson of Billy Graham, has written in a very fine book in the last year. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Do you believe that? Jesus at the center Jesus being baptized. And now watch all of God show up. It's the the Spirit. The the new NIV has this right. The Spirit alights, alights on Jesus. And the Father delights in Jesus. I don't understand the Trinity, but I proclaim the Trinity. God, three in one. A greater theologian, perhaps, um, since the Apostle Paul has not lived than Augustine. He wrote a great tome, a huge volume of material on the, on the, the Trinity. He thought he had figured it out and explained it until he was walking along the beach and he saw a little boy who had, who had um, made a hole in the sand and with his bucket was taking water from the sea and putting it in the hole. And he said, what are you doing? And the little boy smiled at him with great pride and said, I am moving the Mediterranean Sea into this hole. (laughs) And Augustine explained to him, your hole is not big enough and the sea is far too vast. And as he walked away, he felt the Spirit of God say to him, and so is the concept of the Trinity greater than your finite mind. And he repented of any pride. I won't try to explain, 
But let me proclaim to you that all of God was there when the work of salvation began. Good thing for us because it took the work of the Spirit of God to make you and I into followers of Jesus Christ. Don't think for a minute that it was your idea or it was my idea, but salvation was God's idea. And from beginning to end, the work of God's salvation in my life and yours is the work of of the Holy Spirit who calls us into salvation. And so in verse 11, John says, I baptize you with water, but he's going to baptize you with spirit and fire. And I wonder when that happened. And so I read to you from Acts chapter 2. The first time it happened was at Pentecost. Fifty days after the Passover Jesus has walked with his disciples for some 40 days after the resurrection and then the ascension. And then for 10 days, he says, you wait in Jerusalem until the power comes. Wait for the power. That's what they were doing in that upper room, that 120 people. That's all he had at that point, 120 people, followers of Jesus gathered in that room, men and women, the Eleven were there, and then, and then all the others were there in that upper room. And then God shows up. He shows up with, with amazing power. Remember what it says in chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Just notice a couple things. Notice the, the use of the word fire there, like tongues of fire lit on their heads. And, and it was like a rushing mighty wind and it fill here are the two words fill and all the word all again and again and again fill all of them were filled with the holy spirit and, and they spoke in other languages so that all the people who had gathered from all of the world would hear in their own language the message there is there is amazing power in this story A.W. Tozer says, our God, I have this quote for you, A.W. Tozer says, our God dwells in a state of perpetual enthusiasm. God is is all wrapped up in what he is doing. He's delighted with all that's good, loving and concerned about all that's wrong, pursues his labors always in a fullness of holy zeal. No wonder the Spirit came, here's the power at Pentecost, as a sound of a rushing mighty wind and sat in tongues of fire on every forehead. Whatever else happened at Pentecost, one thing cannot be missed. There was this sudden upsurge of moral enthusiasm. Those first disciples burned with a steady inward fire. They were enthusiastic to the point of complete abandon. Do those words that you are reading right now describe your life? And if not, why not? There was power. And there was inclusion. They asked Garrison Keillor, his favorite five books in the world. At the top of his list, he said, the book of Acts. And they said, in surprise, why? And he said, the flames of fire lit on their little heads. And bravely and dangerously went they onward. And how do we know? Well, 3,000 people 
responded to Peter's message that day. He explained it to him. He said, the Spirit is going to to come on you. And and here's what I want you to see. Some people get wrapped up in that tongues thing. I heard in the last week about somebody who said they were in a church where the pastor of the church said, unless you've spoken in tongues, you haven't really been baptized in the Holy Spirit. The only problem with that is, well, the whole New Testament. That's what's wrong with that idea. It's true that they spoke other languages here. It's true that one more time in chapter 19 they spoke other languages. In Corinth they had some issue with unknown languages, which I would distinguish from other languages. It was divisive in the church. It was, as Paul described it, the least of the gifts. I'd rather speak five words you can understand than 10,000 that you can't understand, he would say. And what I want you to see is that again and again, and particularly in Peter's explanation, the Spirit will be poured out on you, men and women, young and old, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The work of the Holy Spirit is not to impress us with some babble, but rather to call people to salvation in a language they can understand. That's the gift you want, to call people to salvation in a language they can understand. And so... And so we see Peter saying to them when they say in verse 37, when their hearts are completely convicted, they say, what are we supposed to do about this Jesus? He said, this Jesus whom you crucified, what are we supposed to do? And he said, believe, be baptized, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. 3,000 did, and as far as I can tell, not one of them spoke in a tongue. Why? They didn't need to. The work had already been done. So in chapter 18 of of the book of Acts, when, when Priscilla and Aquila are explaining to Apollos, this marvelous orator, the rest of the story, not just John, but Jesus, then Apollos is corrected, but he doesn't speak in another tongue. Why? He doesn't need to. And if anybody says to you that speaking in tongues is the normative experience of a person receiving the Holy Spirit, show them the New Testament, for example. Show them that it's not speaking in another tongue. It's not how high you jump or how loud you shout. It's how straight you walk when you hit the ground that reveals the work of the Spirit. Here it is. It's It's Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit in your life will be love, joy, and peace, patience, kindness, and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, or meekness, self-control. When you're bumped, you'll spill the Spirit. I wonder if the people who know us know the work of God in our lives like that. I'm not asking you this morning... To have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit. I'm asking you as they said of D.L. Moody. For the Holy Spirit. To have a monopoly. On you. And the Spirit of God is received. At the moment that we receive. The Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. Nathaniel Hawthorne said. Happiness um, is like a butterfly. Like a butterfly that you can't catch. But if you sit still enough, it may rest on you. So is the Spirit of God. You can't seize the Holy Spirit. 
But if God chooses you, receive the Holy Spirit. It is God's work from beginning to end. Francis Chan discovered this with his daughter who at the age of 17, after years of listening to him preach, rebelled against him said she didn't believe what he believed. And he said, it was at that moment I realized no human being can make another human being love God. Because if I could have, I would have. But I couldn't. I prayed. And then the day came when she turned from her rebellion. Let all the people of God say, that is a blessed day. When she turned from her rebellion and came home and said, I believe what you believe. I have turned my heart over to the Lord Jesus Christ. I have become a Christian. You know what Francis and his wife didn't say on that day? What amazing parents we are. (laughs) What a great preacher I am. No, they said, what a mighty God we serve. This is the work of the Holy Spirit to call us unto salvation, to save us, and then, and then, to baptize us in the Spirit, not... Two times, not four times, not eight times. To be, to be baptized only one time in the Spirit. But then over and over again for that Spirit of God to fill us. So Paul would say, don't be, don't be drunk with wine to the Ephesians. Don't be under the influence of wine. No, be filled with the Spirit. Be under the influence Submitted to the control of the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And you read in the book of Acts. We're going to read it together this year. Read in the book of Acts. How Again and again it says, and filled with the Spirit of God. They preached. And filled with the Spirit of God, they prayed. And filled with the Spirit of God, they evangelized. And cities came. May God make it happen in Houston that Tallawood would be so filled with the Spirit of God that the city would be different at the end of 2012 than it is right now. May God, I'm not worried about filling the room. God, fill us. And the room will fill. God, fill us us with your Holy Spirit. Look, um, James Emery White takes two glasses of water in his seminary class. He takes two Alka-Seltzers, one in the wrapper, drops it in the water. The other he unwraps and drops in the water. The one in the plastic wrapper just sits there. The other one, plop, plop, fizz, fizz, fills the glass. And he says, both jars have the Alka-Seltzer. But only one is filled with it. And you received the Spirit of God when you became a Christian. Now I'm wondering, how much of you does he have right now? And no less a reformed preacher than David Martin Lloyd-Jones stood before his congregation and to their dismay said, if you received all the Holy Spirit of God on the day that you became a Christian. And he said, and I believe you did. If you received all the Holy Spirit on the day that you became a Christian, then where in God's name is He in your life? Look, we're either, we're either filled with God's Spirit and fire or we're not. And I'm asking you, don't be drunk with wine. Be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Would you pray with me? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. 
Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, you heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. In Jesus' name. Amen.